Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, would you turn them with me to Romans chapter 13? Romans chapter 13. Today we will be uh, looking at the things that are going on around us from the perspective of the Scripture. There is no greater place to go when we have questions, no greater place to go when we don't know what to do around us than to go to the Scripture and see what God has to say on a matter. Last week, again, I say unequivocally, we stated that racism is a sin. It, it is against what God has done in creation, what he is doing in salvation, what he is going to do in glorification. And this week, we tackle the issue of rebellion. On the evening of December 16, 1773, at Griffin Harbor in Boston, Massachusetts, a group of American colonists enraged by perceived injustices by the crown of Great Britain disguised themselves as Native Americans, boarded the Dartmouth, a British ship carrying tea from China. They boarded two other of its sister ships. They ripped open the boxes of tea and poured them into the harbor. You guys know this as the Boston Tea Party. Now, if you're anything like me, as uh, this American blood that just pumps through your veins, you read that, and a swell of pride kind of hits your chest. You know the circumstances that surrounded that act of rebellion. Uh, the king's government had imposed taxation without representation on the American colonists. They were paying for the wars of the of the British army to colonize all around the world. The Americans had no say-so, and they were angry, and they were livid. One of the key uh, items that, that Great Britain taxed was tea. And so they wanted to get that money from the American uh, colonists to pay for those wars. The people became angry, livid. I mean, throughout this time, you had the the Boston Massacre, and, and people began to meet and say, this isn't right, and, and the Boston Tea Party, where they dumped all, these, all this tea into the, to the water, and, and there's just anger, there's vitriol, there is perceived injustice, and so we declared our independence, we fought uh, the Revolutionary War, and declared ourselves a nation. You look back at those times, and as Americans, you, you have an element of pride. That's right. You can't tax me without representation. You can't do these things. This uh, incident, uh, known as the Boston Tea Party, really set in course uh, a set of events that would go throughout all of American history. From its very beginning, America has been a nation and a peop people with a distrust for people who are in authority. You could say that rebellion is ingrained in our DNA. It's no surprise that our entire history has been filled with one rebellion after another. From the Civil War, where brothers took arms against brothers uh, for uh, many different causes, 
we see there is rebellion from the Civil War all the way to the civil rights where man stood up for mankind. You see rebellion. Even today, rioting and rebellion. I've seen on the news that there's a, now a six-square block of the city of Seattle, Washington, where a group, has, a group of American citizens have taken over and created an autonomous zone. Chaz, is that the name of the autonomous zone? I'd like to have been on the committee that came up with that name. Uh, you, look, you look at that, a group of anti-fascists uh, who are now in different locations there enforcing uh, by violence their own will. It's kind of odd to think about it. We live in an upside-down world, but it should really come as no surprise for us. In a poetic sense, America began in rebellion, and it's right for us to assume that one day America will end in rebellion. And so we must ask the question, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about rebelling against the governing authorities. And it's to that end that I bring you to Romans chapter 13. And we will begin in verse 1. Romans 13 and verse 1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also, to first, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of you... For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now I ask for your anointing to preach your word, to not preach opinion, to not preach a popular belief, to not curry favor with those who are around me or with those who hear. But Father, I ask now for your anointing to preach your word boldly so that your people might be edified, so that your people might be convicted, so that your people might live in a way that honors you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. So we come to the question, what does God say about rebellion? And we're going to go throughout Scripture today, and we're going to look at what does God have to say on the matter. Plain and simple, it's pretty clear, black ink on white paper, God is opposed to rebellion of any kind. 1 Samuel 15, 23, the Bible would tell us that for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. God counts rebellion as sin in the same manner that you would count witchcraft as sin so how do we respond in the world that we live in and how do we do so compassionately how do we do so truthfully and it's to that end that i would like to bring to you today three points 
three words, really, of how the Bible uh, explains to us our responsibility, our duty to governing authorities. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down the word submit. Submit. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, the text that we read earlier is our basis for at this point, what does God expect from us as believers? It's very obvious that he expects followers of Jesus Christ to submit to governing authorities. Romans 13 and verse 1, let every person be subject to governing authorities. It is our duty to submit to governing authorities. This is every person. Uh, the, the words here uh, that, that Paul uses uh, when he says every person is different from words that he would have uh, otherwise used, it speaks of every soul. Now, we spent two years in the book of Romans, and so I, all of you theologians and scholars in here know that the book of Romans is really set into two parts. In chapters 1 through 11, we, we understand how God works with mankind. We understand the gospel. We understand the sin of man and how the only way that mankind can be just in God's eyes is through the sacrifice, the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that mankind is made whole. The only way that mankind is made right. Chapter 12 through the end of the book is the implications, how we as believers should live. And so we tackle how we are to interact with one another, how we're to interact within the church. And in chapter 13, we learn how we are to interact with governing authorities. And here, Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit, every person should be subject to governing authorities. The word subject here in the Greek is, is the word to submit. It's used in Greek language as uh, someone in the military who would submit themselves to the authority of a superior officer. And everyone who has any military uh, understanding or knowledge understands that in the military you move as a unit. And to move as a unit, you can't be individual. To move as a unit, you must obey the orders of your superior officer. And that's the, exactly the language that God gives his people, how we are to interact with the government. We are to be model citizens. Believers, we are to be model citizens, subjecting ourselves to governing authorities. But you'll notice here in Romans chapter 13, there is no exception clause. He says every government, you should be subject to governing authorities. That, that means that he's saying that as much to people in West Memphis, Arkansas, and the United States of America, people who sit underneath democracy, people who sit underneath the regime of communist China, people who sit underneath dictatorships, as believers, we are to submit ourselves to governing authorities. Now, this isn't Josh talking here. Because if it were me, I would tell you the polar opposite. I don't go into my politics for a great reason. But this American blood pumps through my vein. And so I'm all too understanding of, of this rebellion that's inside of our hearts. But God says, not my people. 
submit yourselves to governing authorities. And it gives us several reasons why here in Romans chapter 13. He says, first of all, it's because God ordained it. God ordained the leadership that's in place. Now, listen, for some of you, that's a really good thing because you really like the leader who's in place. But he also set in place leaders that you don't like. Every king, every dictator, every president, senator, congressman, mayor, every emperor, God has put into place. Listen, my friends, God is either sovereign and on his throne or he's no God at all. And he has placed those who are in authority. He has put them in their position. And so God tells us, listen, obey them. Submit yourselves to them because I put them into place. I know what's best for you. I have put them into place. The next thing that he says, not only are we to submit ourselves to the governing authorities because God has put them into place. But he says also, well, listen, the governing authorities carry a sword, and they don't carry it in vain. Let me show you something that's going to be wildly unpopular. You know, we should be people who love justice, do justice, love mercy. But, you know, the Scripture tells us of people who keep the law and who are tasked with enforcing the law. They are ministers of God. They carry the sword. They don't carry it in vain. They ought to be respected and, yes, feared. You ought to respect and fear those people who keep the law. Now, I know you say there are incidents where they do not keep it well. Well, mankind, right? We're mankind. We don't do that. We should obviously hope for a better society. But I'll tell you this. The Scripture teaches us that those people who are tasked with enforcing the law do not carry the sword in vain. And by the way, we should respect, love, submit ourselves to governing authorities, police officers, first responders, we are to submit ourselves. There is no exception clause here. Submitting doesn't mean that we're stupid. Paul, even at one point, is about to be beaten. And Paul says, is this your, is this your standard of practice for someone who's a Roman citizen? And he reminds people that he's a Roman citizen so that he isn't beaten. As a matter of fact, he uses his citizenship to take him all the way from Jerusalem to Rome where he will be imprisoned and at least taken care of while he writes letters before he will be beheaded. So we are to use those rights that are afforded to us by our individual governments. For those of us who are Americans, we enjoy a freedom that most people do not enjoy. We are peaceably assembling today a right afforded to us by the law, by the government that God has ordained. We can do those things. Christians should vote. You should prayerfully go to the to the. Uh, voting booth and vote for the person that God has laid upon your heart to vote for. Christians should run for office. The scripture has no objection here. Christians should serve uh, uh, many civic duties. Submitting to the government doesn't mean that we do so uh, while, while uh, 
being stupid or ignorant of the rights that each of our governments have given us, but it's different for each and every nation. When, when Paul writes this, he writes this to the church in Rome. And by the way, the church in Rome didn't exactly have a cordial relationship with Christians. If you remember, Rome, just a little while after the writing of this book, Rome will take Christians, they will put them in coliseums and let lions eat them for public entertainment. They'll watch them be ravaged, they'll set them on fire, they'll beat them mercilessly, they will kill them. And yet Paul says, it's to this government that we owe submission. This is not Josh speaking, this is the scripture. So then we ask the question, naturally, when do we not submit? Is there an area where we do not submit? And I, I want to present to you now from Scripture that there are times when we are to yield to higher authorities. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Those three Hebrew children, they uh, were placed in an impossible circumstance. They had been taken to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had overseen the training of many young Hebrew men and taught them their culture and tried to assimilate them to be Babylonian. And at a certain point, King Nebuchadnezzar builds a, a giant golden statue. And he says, every time the music plays, everyone bow down to him. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow. Okay? They, Come before King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar says, now listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. I put a lot of money into you, fellas. I've trained you. I've fed you. You've said it my time. I'm going to give you one more chance. If you don't bow down when they play this music, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. And what is their response? In Daniel chapter 3 and verses 17 through 18, they say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They didn't stand up and tell all Israelites, let's get out of here. These are horrible Babylonians. It didn't happen in Egypt either, by the way. God's people waited on God to come and move. They subjected them. There was more Hebrews than there were Egyptians. The Egyptians knew that. That's why they did the horrible thing they did to the Hebrew children. But what happens? They, they uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yield to a higher authority. And just a few chapters later, what happens to Daniel? Daniel is a man of prayer. Some leaders in Persia decide that they are going to, they're going to trap Daniel. And so they tell the king, let's make a law against praying to anyone but you. Daniel hears the law, and what does he do? He goes right back to his house. He gets right down on his knees. It's almost like he opens up the shades because he wants everyone to see this, and he gets down on his knees, and he prays. And what happens? There's not a single record of Daniel fighting what's about to happen, but yielding to a higher authority, recognizing the authority that God has placed on this earth, and yet yielding to a higher authority. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, and, you know, overnight, those lions didn't open their mouths. But he was rescued the next day. It's not just Old Testament. It's New Testament, too. Peter and John are sharing the gospel in the temple complex. They, by the power of the Holy Spirit, heal a man who is lame. Uh, there is uh, a lot of people who get saved. 
the leaders of Israel arrest them, try them, and they tell them on threat of death, and they've done it before. They, they threaten them on, on, on threat of harming them physically. They've done it before. Do not preach this name, Jesus, again. And in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, Peter and John say to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Watch their response. Recognizing authority that God has placed, yet yielding to a higher authority. And then Jesus. Beaten, torn, coming to the end of his life on earth, going toward the cross. Pilate pulls him aside. Jesus. My wife's had dreams about you. I, I, I can get you out of this. Don't you know I have the power to get you out of this? Talk to me. Stop being quiet. Talk to me and I can get you out of this. And Jesus says, this place is not my kingdom. I've got a heavenly kingdom. A spiritual one. And a lot of times we get so bogged down on what's right in front of us, we forget that we're a part of a greater kingdom a better kingdom, a kingdom that is just, a kingdom that is righteous, a king who always does what is right and always takes care of what is his and who is his. So we as believers, as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, must submit ourselves to the governing authorities. And I preach this as much to me as I do to you. So submit. Number two, pray, pray. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Our second task when it comes to dealing with governing authorities is that we are to be people who pray. We are to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for those leaders that we like, and we're to pray for those leaders that we don't like, those that we voted for, those that we didn't vote for. I don't know about you, but I'm an equal opportunities complainer when it comes to politics. It doesn't matter who's been put into power, I'm probably going to complain. Can you believe that he or she said or did this? Can you believe what they're doing? That's terrible. Well, I, you know, this person has obviously got this wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. I'm an equal opportunities complainer, and I feel like I'm in pretty good company, right? You know, we should be equal opportunities prayers. People who are praying for those who have been put in authority over us. We should be lifting them up in prayer, praying for wisdom. If you like them, pray for them. If you don't like them, pray for them even more. It's impossible to complain about someone that you're praying for. And here, Paul tells young Timothy, pray for everyone, but pray for in all manners. Pray for kings and all those who are in high positions. 
And then he ties it to a godly life. Praying for those leaders, he ties it to a godly life. He says uh, in verse 2, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You see, this peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life may not make the news for those of us who are believers. It may not look like radical love, but the most compassionate, loving thing that we can do for the world is to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ with our lives. To live peaceful, quiet lives, godly, dignified. We as Christians are not insurrectionists. We're not revolutionaries. We're not reactionaries. We're not anarchists. Rather, we submit to those who are in authority and we pray for those who are in authority. Again, this doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to justice. We're to stand up for the cause of the orphan. We're to stand up for the cause of the widow, for those who can't stand up for themselves. Of course, we're to lovingly embrace them and meet their needs. Of course, God hates, he abhors scales that aren't balanced. Scales that are unjust. But we, as believers, our primary weapon is prayer. It's not glamorous. Like you're, you're not going to read of a bunch of people that like they were known by prayer. It's not going to make the TV. It's not going to make the news. But we, as God's people, ought to be praying for those who are in leadership positions. He also ties this not only to a godly life, to a gospel life. He says in verse 3, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to him in the knowledge of truth. You see, God wants us to be prayerful and peaceful in our lives, in whatever government we are underneath, to submit ourselves and to pray so that we can show the world Jesus. Prayer brings a calming effect in our lives. I, I think I, I, I dropped this, this prop a while ago, but uh, Wednesday we took our children to Little Rock to drop them off with my in-laws for like four or five days. And we were excited, and they were excited. It's hard to tell who was more excited. We were so excited about meeting and them getting to spend time with their lolly and pop is what we, we call Sarah's parents. But Bo gets a little anxious before he, we separate any time. He's a daddy's boy. I love, I love my boy. And I knew this was going to be the case, so I, I brought a coin that I had gotten while I was in Iraq. I had, someone had given it to me. On the front of it had a, a picture of Arkansas, and on the back of it had a picture of Iraq. It's a special coin. Bo always looks at it. And so we're getting ready to load them in the lolly and pops truck. And, and I can see he's getting a little anxious. And I said, Bo, come here. I said, Bo, whenever you get scared or sad, I've got a present for you. I want you to take Daddy's special coin, and I want you to put it in your pocket. And whenever you get scared or sad or you miss me, you just reach down in your pocket. You hold on to that coin, and you pray for Daddy because you know Daddy is going to be missing you too. He said, okay. He reached down in his pocket. He pulled out a little penny. He said, Daddy, I know you're going to miss me. 
take this penny and put it in your pocket. And when you miss me or you get scared, you hold on to it and pray for me because know that I'll be missing you too. You know, prayer brings a calming effect. We should devote ourselves to that. Praying for peace in our time. Praying for our leaders. Praying for wisdom. Praying for justice. But thirdly, and very quickly, not only are we to be people who submit and pray, but I want you to see the word honor. 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 17 commands this to us. Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, if there was anyone in Peter's life who would be not worthy of honor, it would be the emperor. The emperor of Rome, at the time that Peter would have been alive, the time that Peter would have written this, would have been really a person we would consider quite despicable. Someone who would want the, uh, who would mercilessly run over lives of people uh, that he didn't care about, would use his citizens to get what he wanted. The emperor often ran unchecked, even though there was a senate, emperors were often thought as godlike in the Roman world, and the one that would have been alive during this time most certainly would have been wicked, and after Peter's life would have been not cordial to Christianity whatsoever, and yet Peter says what? Honor him. Honor him. That is value. Not, is he worthy of it? No, no, no. I'm telling you, honor him. That wicked man sitting in Rome who is the leader of the Roman world, honor him. But God, this man is vile and wicked in Rome. This emperor of Rome, he's a, honor him. Honor him. It's a command. We are to value and estimate those who are in authority with respect and regard. We are to honor those who are in authority, whether we feel that they are deserving or not. And again, let me just say, that applies to those leaders that you like and that you don't like. Those who are in office, those who are not in office or yet to be in office or have been in office. We are to honor them. But the reason that that's so difficult for the world today, the reason that's so difficult for people who are in the church, is people can't find honor in a created thing because they don't have honor for the uncreated one. They don't have regard or respect for the God of the universe who though all he's given them is mercy and love and kindness and poured out his light upon them. The condemnation is the light has come into the world and the world did not receive him. They love darkness rather than light. And that's the problem with the world at large. And even in the church, you can't honor people who are created because you don't honor the one who is uncreated. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and, and I would say, listen, you can't even begin to do all of these things correctly or rightly if you're not living for him. And so I would just say, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, whether you're listening to me online or in Lear Hall or here in this sanctuary, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, if you will repent of your sins and call upon Jesus 
he will save you. But I got a feeling a lot of people I'm speaking to already know Jesus. But that same revolutionary blood and fleshly blood is pumping through our veins. Can I encourage you? Repent. Be people who live according to what God says and not according to what man says. Honor God. Honor those who are in authority. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love for us and for yet another opportunity today. I hope to preach your word clearly. And Lord, I know there are people here today, uh, this message hasn't exactly lent itself to a time of invitation, but Lord, I know that there are people here today that if they died today, they'd spend an eternity separated from you. So Lord, I ask that if there's anyone in here who's not coming to know Jesus as, as Lord, that today they'd come forward and speak to me or another counselor and give their life to Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling and we want to be compassionate and yet we want to, we want to speak truth, Lord, give us wisdom speak to us and if there's any other decision that needs to be made today lord i pray you'd be faithful uh, to bring that about in our people's lives i'll give you the praise honor and glory for all you do in jesus name we pray amen thanks for joining us for this episode of first importance you're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and if you're in the west memphis area to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.